Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education changemaking ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, while also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. Hey everyone, I want to jump on before you get into the podcast episode today and share that I'm launching the Wise Warrior Mastermind, which I'm really excited about because you know when something comes through me, it comes through with full energy and love. And I really wanted to convene a group, a small group of about five people where we can really go deep and create a safe container, a safe environment, place where you can just be free, let yourself be you. You don't have to worry about bringing any baggage into the group. And we can really focus on these mindset teachings that I have embodied and learned and mastered over the last several years. And I can share them with you and we can work on them together and we can support each other and create some lasting impact and change in your life. So we can focus on how to lead with love, how to live in flow, how to master your thoughts and what belief systems you have and so many other things that we're going to work on together. So if you're interested, please reach out to me at david at davidkrichards.com or you can go to the website davidkrichards.com slash program slash mindset. We're going to get better together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. And it's going to be a, a small number of us. So if you're interested, please reach out as soon as possible because we don't have that many spaces. All right. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks. All right, everyone, as always, I just had a great conversation with Teresa Poppin, co-founder of One Stone, which is this amazing high school in Boise, Idaho. They have a lot of other things going on. But I wanted to ask Teresa just to kind of share her highlights or summary of what we just talked about as your uh, as a listener, as you're kind of deciding if you're going to listen to this episode. Yeah, um, we talked about the origin story of One Stone and how it how it became what it is and how it started did not start as a school. And so it, it grew from a, from a culture of um, student driven um, high school experience. And, and we talked about how hard it is to build a school and, and what an innovative school looks like and how do you, how you, you need to, to drive it from the things that matter. So have a purpose, have a why, have a vision um, and the importance of not like, kind of swaying from that vision and, and keeping focused and um, what an innovative school needs to be able to do, what the people mm -hmm. in the building look like, um, yeah. how to interact with the constituents um, and build a board of students and, and uh, how, how you make that thing grow. Yeah, exactly. So super exciting conversation. And I had, I shared with the listeners that I visited Boise, Idaho, and saw one stones uh, about five years ago. And it stuck with me as the most unique school other than maybe Brightworks that I've ever seen in person, just so unique. So, and, and then as we engaged in the conversation, I learned that the, the values and the innovative mindset and all of that was very intentional. 
and that Teresa and the team stayed very true to the commitment to not waver away from what makes this school unique and what makes it a non-traditional school. So that was super fascinating to hear. And then all the ins and outs of like, well, what's a daily schedule look like and how do parents engage? And, you know, like, how do you deal with such a different school and everybody has an opinion about what school's going to look like? So really juicy conversation. And you definitely have to check out onestone.org because you're going to love this conversation. So thank you so much, Teresa, again. Yeah, thank you. All right. Welcome, everyone. Super excited to be here with Teresa Poppin. Teresa, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So we were just kind of chatting before I hit record and I said, you know what, let's just dive in. And I want to dive in with the question that I'm so curious to hear about, which is, you know, what's the origin story of One Stone? How did you end up with this amazing place that I admire and that so many people have checked out and admired and it's an awesome high school and all these other projects you have. So I just love to hear, how did it all start? Okay. Well, um, we really didn't start as a school and we didn't intend to be a school. We started out as an experiential service organization for high school students um, driven by high school students. So we we realized at watching our, our kids in high school, having checkboxes about you know how to serve others and, and having to do 50, 50 hours of service. And um, we saw that that didn't really show high school students how we should be serving the world. And so we decided to start this organization called One Stone. And it was all about students following their, their passions and serving others in ways in which brought meaning to them um, while, while serving people in ways in which um, people needed. And so we used design thinking back really in the early days for students to um, kind of walk down the path of working together with the person who would be the recipient or the organization who would be the recipient and using empathy to understand what it is they need and want and um, working, you know, down the path of service that way. Our structure um, for One Stone is student driven. So the actual board of directors of the nonprofit has to be at least two thirds students. So they totally drive the organization. So as we as we did more and more experiential service projects, um, we started to see that what the students were doing became transformational for them. It changed the way they focused on how they enter enter the world and how they do things. And, and it also made them feel very much like I can do big things. Um, I, I can change things. And and we also started to see that they were picking up things like leadership and empathy and grit and management, things that are, are what we used to call soft skills. We now call them durable skills. Um, and thought, well, this, this is a really good combination and a good culture to um, involve students in engaging in, in service and building skills. And so um, as we went along, we gathered more and more schools, more and more kids at, at the peak of the what we called Project Good organization. We had about 25 um, schools from across the, the Treasure Valley in Boise. And we also, um, you know, and then all of the, the homeschool kids and, and all, all kinds of students from everywhere. And they together built this organization uh, that the very, they were very, very passionate about. Um, they then started coming up with things that they could do in addition to service. 
like um, we had a group of students who were very good at digital marketing and media and videos, and, and they wanted to build part of our organization as a creative services agency. So they built uh, what we call Two Birds, um, and they do service um, creative services, branding, video editing for um, clients across the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the school, the One Stone School, which is called Lab 51, um, was invented as a result of that. So students liked what they were doing every day mm-hmm. and wanted to build a school on top of the culture that we already had. So we did a couple of big research projects, events, um, brought in 150 juniors from across Idaho twice to um, ask them, you know, if you if you built a school, if you could start from scratch, what would it look like? And they, two years in a row, came up with two things that they would primarily like to change about the way school worked. One was they want they wanted to be able to dive into their passions. Um, mm-hmm. If they found something that they're really interested in, um, rather than go to the next class when the bell rings, they wanted to dive in. And secondly, um, understanding how what they were doing in the school building related to the real world. Why is this important? Why do I need to know this? You know, how can I use it in the real world? So those were the two things that we um, decided to really dive into when we built Lab 51. And we used design thinking um, and together with a group of students built, built what is now our school at one stone. Yeah. So cool. And, you know, I feel like there's a, there's like another school in San Francisco called Brightworks that I really like, and they have a similar story of like, Oh, it was an after school program. And then everyone's like, why isn't this a school? And right. I love these stories. Cause when you start there, it's like, you can really, you really, you start outside of the box and you can yeah. stay outside of the box. Right. Instead of trying, we were talking before about when I launched my last charter school and I started out of the box and then I went into trying to get the charter uh, petition approved and the funders and the different things and the state requirements. And all of a sudden it was like, we were right inside that box. Right. And so right. I love that. It's, and easy, love, it's, yeah. it's easier to do that. I think it's, it's, it's hard to maintain staying outside the box because yeah. the more you move along and the more you try to build the school, the, the easier it is to kind of drift. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's a commitment we made from the very beginning is that yes. we weren't going to drift. Yeah. And I can see that you did that. And and I shared with you before, you know, that I visited so many schools with, you know, new schools, venture fund and some other funders and we would do school tours. And it's like at one sense, one that really stuck out to me out of, I don't know, 50 schools or I think we went to 10 different States, 50 different schools. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is it. This is the most unique one that I've seen. Yeah. And that's why I was like, I can't wait to get her on the podcast. And, but yeah, what I also love is, and I'd love to hear kind of how the whole board story happened because I remember after I went to visit, I would tell everyone, I'm like, no, the students are on the board. And I observed the students talking. And I talked about how, you know, you can tell when somebody's kind of faking it by the body language and the eye contact and all that. And I watched your then, I believe, director sit with a group of students. And I think you were there and some other folks. And it was like, the students weren't looking at you for any kind of validation, which is my cue. I was, of course, looking for the cue to see like, is this that fake thing where they're pretending like students have power and showing it to the funder? No, they weren't looking at you at all. They were like, no, we're in charge. We're on the board. Right. So how did that all come to be? And I just would love to hear that story. Well, and one thing that, I mean, just, just um, a little anecdotal thing about that. Last year, um, 
the chair of the board who was in her last year in high school did my annual performance review. And, you know, they, they take being on the board very, very seriously. Um, we have yeah. four adults on our board um, who would tell you that this is the best board that they're on and they're on many right. and true. all kinds of boards. <laughs> but um, the way it works is students... So it, it started the very the very beginning. It was uh, um, one thing that we started with and never changed because it puts our money where our mouth is on student driven, and yeah. um, and so s- students are appointed to the board. There's a big process that our that our students go through to um, decide who they're going to appoint on the board. They do a gap analysis. They look at skills. They look at all kinds of things, mm-hmm. and um, there are oftentimes asked to be on the board when they're in the 10th grade equivalent. So they learn and grow as they, and then they stay on the board until they graduate from high school. So they learn and grow and mentor the other students as they go along. And so it works, it works really well. There's a lot of, um, a lot of growth, a lot of training, a lot of leadership that they take on as a result of owning the governance of the organization. The chair of the board generally by the time they get to that point where they're in their last year in high school, they're as good as any chair of any board you see anywhere. And yeah, I believe they, can, they can stand up and explain a 990 tax return. They know how to read financial statements yeah. and, you know, and they, and they learn that along the way. Um, and they're, they're fully, fully engaged and take it very seriously. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. It's, it surprises me. <laughs> Well, yeah. And that's why I always tell the story that like, no, this school is, is absolutely authentically student driven because I feel like you hear that and you never know what that means. Cause there's such a spectrum of like learner driven, self-directed. And then it's like, depending on who you talk to and you look at it on the website and then you go see the school and you're like, Oh, this is interesting. Students really don't have any, they're not driving anything here. Right. 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 Yeah. When, when I visited your school, I was like, no, they're definitely driving and Tell us a little bit about, so you said 10th grade equivalent. So just for people that don't know as much about, so you don't have grade levels. How does that all work? Yeah. So we, um, we, we use design thinking as a a way in which to engage in, in what um, people would call project-based learning and get students out into the real world. So when they enter um, lab 51, they enter as an X lab student, which is an experience lab. And then in the middle um, they do design lab, which is, you know, they're a little bit better at um, using the process of design thinking. And so they're engaging in bigger projects and engaging in the real world more. And when they intend to graduate, um, they're called a why lab. They work on what their why is, where where they, what their North Star is. Um, mm-hmm. And then they engage in design thinking um, with bigger clients in the real world um, and and do things that they're passionate about. So that's just one piece of what they do, but that's, um, you don't have to stay at one stone for four years or three years or however, however long you engage in, in the things that we do. And when you're ready to graduate, um, I, I, I think, you know, we have some students who stay an extra year. We have some students who graduate early. It's just depending on where they are in their process of learning. Right. So it's really a competency based model. It's yes. And, and as far as grades go, we don't, we don't use grades. Um, we invented, um, something that's called the growth transcript. 
So we have a document that is kind of our learner. It's called the blob. It's bold learning objectives. So it's the, okay. the things in which we're trying to um, build as a toolkit for students before they go out into the real world. So we call it a toolkit for life. And in the blob are mindsets, skills, creativity, and knowledge. And so in each one of those quadrants, we have um, competencies and skills that we want them to build. Things like grit and mindsets and skills that are that people that students don't learn in in high school and and they have to build all of those um, things in the blob and then they're measured on growth so how are you growing in grit over time doing the things that you're doing in our building outside of our building so it sounds like you started kind of the way you started with the design thinking and getting the students together it's like that's how you continued and so do you also have high school students that are coming from different places that are also doing um, projects and initiatives and different things with you? Or is it just the students at one stone? Um, yeah. As it relates to the, the piece that I described, that's just the students at one stone. We that's still, lot of one, right? Yeah. Yeah. We still okay. do um, project good. Okay. Uh, that's an after school. And we still have kids from, from all over coming to do project good with us. Okay. So kind of that original project, the project good is still like not just students that attend the school, but students from all over. And, and is that like a virtual thing or is it more people locally in Boise? It's it's local. Okay. But yep. do you have students engaging online too? Is that what I saw on the website? We do in certain things. So our, um, we have in, in two birds, we have a, a group of, in the summers, we do a flight training. Okay. <laughs> and and they engage from all over the world, actually, in those okay. kinds of things. So we do have some, and we also have camps for, for younger kids. We have literacy camps. We have venture camps for entrepreneurship. Um, we, we do all kinds of things year-round and also very focused in the summer for students all over the Treasure Valley. And, and some kinds of things that we do, um, we engage um, online with students across the world. Okay. Okay. So this actually was the, the, another question I wanted to ask, you know, people say like, oh, you should really, you know, focus in and specialize. And so it seems like you have quite a few different things going on. Yeah. So what, how did that all play out? And, you know, like, I just feel like people would say, oh, you need to specialize, like get really good at one thing, like get really good at yeah. your high school. Why are you doing all these other things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, because they all, um, kind of sit on top of this culture that is student driven students come in and do the thing that they're passionate about. And, and I think the focus is on design thinking. The focus is on engaging in the real world. The focus is on finding passion and meaning and making students better leaders in the world, a better place. Our, um, our vision is forging an army of good for good. So what we're trying to do is put people into the world who have skills and talents to make real change. And, and that really, we're very, very good at focusing on that. So our focus looks different than focusing on one element or one lab or studio at one stone. Yeah. Um, But we've, we focus pretty heavily on exactly those kinds of things. Well, it makes sense. It sounds like you're focusing on a core set of your core values and the mission rather than like saying it's going to be one concept or one initiative or one project, but it's going to like spread out, which is fascinating, amazing. And obviously it's, 
it's going well for you. Now, here's the other question around student-driven. Yep. I know that the students came up with that, but it takes a group of adults that actually have a lot of courage and it's quite radical. That's why I always tell the story about my visit there because again, all of us say educators will say, oh, we really want the students to be empowered, right? But to actually, like you said, put your money where your mouth is, put the students on the board, like was there was there something about the adults that were involved that were you know willing to do this or how did that all play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 is really hard. It seems like an easy concept to say, well, just put the students in charge, but you have to back away and yeah. let them drive yeah. and watch them fail. And yeah. you have to watch them fail and grow and learn and develop skills and talents. And they do that if you stand by their side as opposed to standing up front and delivering to them. Right. And it's, right. it's a coaching, we call all of our teachers coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's more of a coaching opportunity than it is a teaching. And that's not to say they don't develop real skills. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, the quadrants in our blob is knowledge and it includes science and math and all, all of the things that they need to be able to go on to college. They get all of that. Yeah. But the important thing is um, is for them to learn by driving their own learning and learning how to drive their own learning because they went, when they're in the world, they need to drive their lives. Yes. So developing the skills that they need to be able to do that. Yeah. And so it sounds like, again, there's like a lot of thought and the coaching it's coaching. What are your coach, your coaches, the teachers, what is it? What does their role look like? Like how's it different from a traditional school? Well, generally, so they'll come up with uh, together, the students and the coaches come up with um, experiences mm-hmm. um, that they're, that they want to work on. So you'll have a group of students, they'll decide they want to do an experience that has to do with really investigating something like the mining industry um, okay. and the environment together with the environment. And they'll come up with a real world um experience where they, they, they go out and they sit. One of, one of their experiences was they went out and they sat in the, and camped in the middle of a mining town. They talked to the mining company. They talked to the people who work at the mining company. They talked to environmentalists. They, they, they empathized with all pieces of that, um, issue and, and really developed, um, critical thinking skills it had to do with, oh, this isn't, I don't believe in mining. This, this is a lot bigger and a lot deeper than I thought it was. Right. Um, so it's that kind of thing that they do. And they, they work on that together with their coach or if it's math, we do things like calculus and, and, mm-hmm. you know, math that is traditional math. We just do it differently. We, we try to um, make it more applied, um, relate it to the real world. Um, in ways in which they can understand it better and think through how it might work. Yeah. What does a day in the life of a student look like? Well, um, they have a schedule. It looks a little bit, I would say it looks a little bit more like college mm-hmm. where they kind of build their schedule and they um, they have design labs at certain times. So they engage in design thinking with external um, community partners they um, engage in these experiences. Um, they do community reads. They, they read together and analyze books. Um, they, yeah, what else? Like 
that's about the the extent of it. They have experiences, they have deep dives, they engage in um, knowing themselves. We do a thing called living in beta, which mm-hmm. is a whole series, years worth of, of diving into who you are and what you're all about. Um, that's where they engage in, in um, developing their why and really understanding what they're passionate about. It's kind of like a funnel where they're trying different things and eventually at at the end it comes out with, well, these are the three things that I really want to move into my next phase of life. And so that's a a program that we call Living in Beta. Um, And so they they kind of go from those things um, throughout the day and and engage in the different things with generally with other groups who are doing the same thing. But it does look more like everyone following their individual path um, right. in, in more of a college-like environment. Yeah. So they're not coming in and there's not like a, a one hour schedule with classes, like you said, like oh. waiting for the bell to ring. Yeah. So it's more like come in and kind of determine your schedule for the day based on what you're working on, who's working on it and that kind of thing. It's, it's probably a little bit more solid than that. So it's, it's, they do have chunks of time that they do specific things um, okay. so that they can coordinate with each other. But um and they have they have opportunities to to do an experience, um, and that's usually usually last eight weeks, twelve weeks, um, depending on what they're they're trying to accomplish with that experience. They also engage in their experiences in different ways. So in that in that example that I explained to you before about the mining, yeah. some of the students were doing that from um, you know a a geology standpoint or a math standpoint, or they're engaging it in different ways. So they're growth transcript looks different with the skills and mindsets um, depending on what what way in which they're engaging in an experience. It's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it is. I know it is from trying to design even like the simplest. I mean, the daily schedule is always the most complicated thing when you're trying to design a school like this. And that's why. And I remember when I went there that we had a whole conversation about that. And that's why I was curious where, you know, where you are today and how you handle all of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a complicated complicated process. The the students help uh, build what the schedule looks like, and um, some of them are very passionate about what it looks like, and so they yeah. work with the coaches, and they're just involved in everything. They're involved in everything that goes on, um, and and really, they feel uh, more like our colleagues than they right. do students. Right, right, and they love yeah. that. They yeah, love like, that. yeah. And I remember just walking in. Well, first of all, when you walk in and there's a virtual tour on the website for the listener. So you can kind of go and see because it's hard to describe until you really see it. But I remember walking in and I had done, you know, trainings at Google and I was like, oh, this, this is Google. <laughs> it's like, it's just an open space and yep. there's different, it just has a very dynamic feel. And immediately you can tell that the students are running the place, you know, like immediately if you're paying attention, you can just figure it out in about one minute. <laughs> and um, what about parents? What kind of role do the parents play? Um, I think what we ask them to do, so we have learned over time, um, what we need to ask parents to do, um, because I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent of a student in, in, um, lab 51 because it looks so different and our language is different and the way that we approach things is different. And we don't, um, everyone wants us to kind of build a crosswalk between, uh, what a, a traditional school like looks like and what we look like. And there's, there's not a crosswalk. Yeah. So they, you know, you got to jump in the deep end and you have to relearn what learning looks like at one stone. And then you have to help your student 
go from where they are, which is being told what their schedule looks like and what they're going to do every day and what the syllabus is to owning what they're learning in different ways. So we ask the parents to, to help us with that. Yeah. Uh, and they're pretty, they're pretty good at about doing that now, but it's taken yeah. us a while to understand the transition that yeah. go through from what they're used to, to what one stone looks like. Cause it's, it's, it's different. And they're used to being handed Here's what you're going to do every day and here's what it's going to look like. And you need to get an A and you know, it's, it's right. not, it's not that. It's a lot of unlearning and probably like education for the parents and the students, obviously, but the students are immersed in, immersed in it every day. So I imagine they pick it up rather relatively quickly, but the parents are probably, that's what takes a lot more kind of. It does. And, yeah. and they, you know, they, they want it. They want their student to, to have that opportunity. Um, but it, it's hard. And I, and it's students pick it up at varying levels and okay. varying paces. Right. I had a student not so long ago who was graduating maybe three or four months before his graduation, who um, we were there late one night and he was playing a drum in our, in our recording studio. And um, he came in, he came into my office and said, I finally get <laughs> what we're trying to do here. And you know, it's, and he did. And he said, I can't believe that I haven't, you know, taken advantage of every single thing there is to take advantage of. I'm going to use the next three or four months to soak all of this in and understand better, you know, what, what I need to do. And, um, he was a student who was struggling, uh, yeah. not a, but before that, and then went off to college and is a straight A student, just driving his learning. And, right. You know, so he would be a very late, right. you know, very late one to get it. But um, but it happens at all different levels. Right. And then I imagine there's the opposite end of that story that someone who kind of jumped in and like quickly. Yes. It out. Yes. And, and they're the ones yeah. who who are, who are ready to graduate a, a little bit early. Right. Oh, I get this. I'm going to drive my learning. I know how to, you know, I, I need to pick up all of these knowledge skills I need to make sure that I've, you know, covered, I need to build my toolkit for life. Yeah. I'm, built, I'm ready to go on to the next phase. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the extracurriculars, you know, for kids that want to play sports or do yeah. band or stuff like that? Yeah. They can play sports at, at their um, home high school. So okay. if they live in certain areas um, of Boise, they're, they know what high school they would go to if they were to go to a traditional high school and they play sports at those schools. Okay, great. And then if there's other, I mean, honestly, even asking that question, I'm kind of laughing because I'm just trying to think of questions that the listeners would have, but I know that it's like the more that I've been thinking about this and talking to people that have awesome schools like yours, it's like the extracurriculars are less important because the whole school is an extracurricular. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and they, you know, they try to find, because they're so focused on, on this thing that I told you was living in beta and finding out who they are, they generally engage in things that are very in line with what their passion and purpose, as, as they start to understand who they are, they start to engage in, you know, being on other boards or being an environmental um, organization. And, and they're not afraid to ask traditionally adult organizations, can I be a part of this? Yeah. because they they gain almost immediately very good skills to advocate for themselves. 
That's yeah. the thing that I think they get first, which is amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I imagine if you're in that environment where the whole thing is flipped, you know, upside down, it's like meaning like the kids are actually empowered instead of the adults telling them what to do. Yeah. That you start to build the confidence and the abilities and like you said, self-advocacy and all that. Right. They also all engage in experiential service. So they all do project good um, as well. So they're, they're pretty busy. Yeah. And then aren't there other kind of entrepreneurial pursuits and projects within like kind of under the one stone umbrella that they can engage into? Yes. We have a, a part of the organization. Um, we call everything a studio or a lab. We have okay. a, um, a hatch studio, which is a, a design um, entrepreneurship um, kind of focus. So we have a, a lot of students who build companies and, and, have them launched before they leave one stone or, um, or at least try building a company and see yeah. if it's something that they're interested in doing. They, you know, they engage in a, in risk-taking and, um, and all of those pieces, the, the recording studio, the project good, which is a service we have a, we have the two birds, the design agency, they, they engage in all of those things. Um, as part of that, you know, that funnel I was yeah. explaining to you earlier, yeah. where they they try things out to see, am I interested in this? Is this something that I'm passionate about? Is this something that I would like to do? Because we realize they don't know what they don't know, right? Right. Yes. And so we have to we have to expose them to things that they don't know, um, yeah. as well as engage with them on things that they really want to do. Yeah. So they, they get all of that. They get all of that. And then do you have, I, I think you now have something where you're helping other people, like either offering professional development or um, launching micro school. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, we do. So we, um, we do a couple of things. We have, we have professional growth series um, um, as part of the One Stone organization that um, it helps others do things like um, other schools um, learn design thinking from a high school student perspective. Okay. We, um, we have a lot of other schools who um, engage with us on living in beta, understanding mm -hmm. how to help students find meaning. Um, yeah. and then we have a whole um, for-profit organization that is called Idea 51. And, and they, um, they work with schools, big and small, on using our growth framework, which is the combination of our blob, our bold learning objectives, and our growth transcript. Um, and we're developing a, um, a tech piece, which is called smart coach that helps them engage with that. So we have, we have several schools doing that with us. Okay. And what about launching a micro school? Did I see something about that? No, well, we, we don't, we've, we've been all around whether or not we want more one student stones across. Yeah. The and I think the thing that we discovered is sharing our innovations with other schools is the best way for us to approach that. So um, we have we have micro schools who are um, you know driven by one stone. Got it. Innovation, okay. and we have we have giant public schools who use our our innovations as well. Okay, so you're not going for the kind of like Acton Academy in the box strategy. You're going for more of like we're going to share our best practices, our ideas, our innovations of that kind of direction. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so you're sharing that with whether it's a micro school or a big public school or a private charter, whatever it may be. It's just like homeschool, whatever yes. it may be. 
and that's all accessible. They can just go to the website and, and look into that and kind of decide what they want to do. Yeah. And they, I mean, we have a whole group of, of people who focus on helping schools do that. Um, it, it's complicated. I mean, I, as, as you can tell, it's yeah. it, changing from, from a traditional school to the types of things that we're doing. We help them a lot and do a lot of consulting on what, what that needs to look like. And, yeah. and the biggest issue there and the, the hardest thing to do is transform the, the teachers from teachers to coaches. Yeah. I was about to say, it's probably the adult mindset. It's like the hardest thing. It, to change. it is. And it's not yeah. it's because they don't want to do what's right for students. It's because it's, it's hard. Yeah. I always joke like everyone's gone to school. And so they always have an opinion, whether, you know, whether you're an education professional or not, you're going to have an opinion about what school's supposed to look like, even if you don't know it, because it's subconscious, exactly. yes. right. Or if you're an educator, then you're like, no, this is exactly what school's supposed to look like. And so I remember when I started my school and I was asking elementary school teachers, if, kindergartners could do self-direction and they said no. And I was like, wait, I thought this woman, Maria Montessori has been doing it for a hundred years with like three year olds. So I'd always remind them like, wait, aren't they doing, hasn't that been happening in Montessori? And they're like, Oh, but that's different. And, and any, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, of mm-hmm. course they can. And any kid can. And I, you know, I yeah. think, I think when they're in kindergarten and before they get to school, they, they do engage in self-direction learning. And then yeah. as we move them through the system, they they get that kind of taken away and yeah. they learn differently. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I can imagine that as you're trying to share this with others, and I, I did see on your website, you know, you have the whole section about the secret sauce and it's, yeah. it's so hard to share the secret sauce because as you know, it's like my question of asking, you know, how did the adults, because you could have design thinking where students actually say, we want to, you know, we want to be in charge of our school. And then once the adults get in, they muck it all up, right? <laughs> they start to take it away. So the fact that you were able to stay committed to that shows yeah. that there was a secret sauce and a commitment from the adults involved. And I think that's where this gets really complex, right? Yes. And, you know, that's our, our um, kind of our why, the one stone why, is we believe in the power of students. And there is not an adult um, as part of one stone who doesn't believe that students can do extraordinary things. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point about educators and, and parents too, you know, adults is that when I would ask my, because I, I had done high school, so I really wanted to learn about elementary. So I was just asking everybody I knew, you know, a lot of questions. And the main thing I got was, no, they can't do self-direction. And when I really took a step back from that, it's like, that's not what the the adult talking to me really, because these were like the most innovative teachers at this school. So I was asking like, who's the most innovative teacher? And yeah. it's not that they actually really believe that. It's just that they haven't seen it happen. Right. Right. Well, I think when you're in that environment, they can't. Exactly. Change the environment, you know. then they're able to, to do it. They know that you, you know, I think the biggest thing that, that they feel at One Stone mm-hmm. is trust. Yeah. They trust the adults. The adults trust them. And that's a hard thing for high school students to, to trust um, adults. Yeah. Absolutely. Feel trusted. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not, I'm not an educator. I mean, I, I guess I am now, but that's, <laughs> you not, are now. <laughs> that's not my background. And yeah. so I, um, I went about this, um, not knowing all of those limitations. You didn't have those, like the things that were limiting your thinking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they always say like the best person to innovate is someone who knows just enough about an industry, but not too much. Right. If you're an expert, then it's harder to innovate. I think that's what. Yes, we're and I think if you know that. too much, you probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, 
I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but you knew just enough because your kids were, had experienced it and you would obviously come yes. right? So, And we had, you know, once it has extraordinary um, staff, extraordinary. Yeah. Well, yeah, you must, you must be able to, to do what you do. What are some, as we kind of wrap up here, what are some challenges now that you've been doing this for quite a while? And, and so a lot of my listeners are either teachers or parents that are thinking about, you know, what's best for their kids or do they want to start a micro school or are they thinking about different options? They're just kind of like really curious about all the different options. So what are some challenges you would share with somebody who's like, I want to do something kind of like one stone, like maybe like a micro school or something like that. I think, I think um, if you want to do something, well, if you want to start a school in general, funding is always a challenge, as you know. Um, and that's, that's probably been the biggest part of my job for 15 years is what does this look like and how do we, how do we make sure that we're, that we're sustainable? And, and so we've engaged in that in different ways. Funding is hard. Um, I think if you want to do something like one stone, um, deciding that you're going to jump in the deep end, like I said earlier, is something that you need to do. And that's not always easy. Um, Like I said, it's easier to to shift back to where you were than to move forward in an innovative way. Yeah. Um, and I think challenging norms and and saying, you know, everyone says you can't do this. I'm I'm a. You tell me you can't. I can't do this. I'm a. Oh, well, then I'm, then we'll. I'm try. the same way. <laughs> yeah, we'll it motivates me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I you know I think those are the things you have to be a risk taker. You have to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trust. Yeah kids, students. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you have to get really clear within yourself about like, what do you really believe? What do you really want? And to be an innovator, like you're, you know, you have been, you have to be really committed to your values and you have, and you yes. said you from the beginning, you said you weren't going to drift. And that's why I was so curious about how that all came together because it's really hard to, because as I coach more and more people and work with more and more people on these types of schools, they will say one thing, but then when it comes down to it, it's like, Oh, but we're going to have a report card with grades. Yes. But but I thought you, no, no, no. Or like, well, this is getting really hard. So we're going to start doing, you know, stand and deliver instruction because they can't read. So we have to do stand and deliver. Right. And so you kind of have to work through that and constantly be helping people remember, you know, what are the values? What are you committing to? And it's, it's not easy, but if you start with, if you stay true to the values and like, like hearing you talk about the origin story and where you are now, it's like, I can see the through line. You know, the values staying the same. And even the question I asked you about, you know, are there, how come you didn't like specialize like everyone says? And you're like, no, we, we did. And our, like, we did. We have this, it's yes. like we specialized around the, the values and the mission, not what it was going to look like. And that's, you know, that's, the, that's what the best innovators do, right? As they think about not the what, but like the why and everything. Yes, absolutely. It, right. So, and that's advice too, right? Like, yeah. understand your why. Understand mm-hmm. why. Yeah. Are you doing this? Absolutely. Understand it, know it, live it, breathe it, all that. Have a purpose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Well, it was great talking with you today. Um, Okay. So where do people find, what's the website or any other information you want to share with people people can find you guys? Yeah. The website is um, onestone.org and that has, our website is is pretty deep and has a lot of information. And um, if people are interested in taking a look at the things that we the innovations that we share, um, you can also get information there as well for that. Um, so that's the best way to, to interact with, with our organization. And um, any inquiry gets sent to the right person.
person. So. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and it's easy to remember, onestone.org. That's super, super smart. Any other final things you wanted to share before we close out here? I don't think so. I just, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about One Stone. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So <laughs> thank you for having me. Absolutely. And now I, now that I, this is like refreshed the visit now that I've talked to you again. So now I'm going to be telling everybody about it again. Because right. <laughs> I was for like a good year. Everywhere I would go, I'd be like, you have to check out this place. <laughs> we have a lot of visitors and that's, you know, something that we're very open to, too. We like oh, to okay. I was going to ask. Yeah. So I might be coming back. So what, if we want to go visit, what's the process for that? Um, just you have my email. You can, you can email me. Um, right. I, I think uh, if people email one stone from our website. Okay. You know, that's the best way to kind of begin the engagement of, of coming and visiting. Um, okay. Again, we have a lot of visitors and our, it doesn't distract anything. It, it, yeah. it's, the students love it when people visit and they, yeah. they get tours and, and you, you can't really un- understand one stone until you, until you're there and kind of have to experience it. it. Yeah. There's a, there's a feel, there's a feel. There really it. is. Yeah. 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 And like I said, out of all the schools I visited, it's the one I remember the most just because it, because of the feel, because of the, the radical nature and all the things that are so impressive. So, well, thank you so much. It was great yeah. talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement And without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you.